Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Merry Christmas to you. My name is Don Doe. I'm uh, the holiday pastor. It's kind of getting, you know, it's getting close to Christmas. Um, Also, state minister of our family of churches. And I would just take this time to, to say thank you for your generosity. We are recipients of your generosity, our association where we help. Uh, other pastors and churches to connect and our teenagers to get together and our children and all kinds of good stuff. So what you do goes beyond these walls and affects a lot of other people. And, and I, I don't know that you know sometimes that, there are, that we have this family that gathers together and we, we are of the same brand and love of the Lord and we, we often lift up Mountain Park. Hope you have a great Christmas season. So thinking of Christmas... If someone were to ask you today, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? How do you think you'd answer that? I mean, maybe it has to do with with work, um, projects that still need to be done before the end of the year, or maybe you have this big bonus that you're expecting. You know, you've already bought the pool in your backyard and... (laughs) Worried about the Jelly of the Month Club going to be the person. Maybe it has to do with your family, your relationships, marriages, children, grandchildren. I mean, there's a strain. I don't know if you've kind of recognized it. There's a strain this time of year on families and on, on all kinds of relationships. Maybe you're hoping for something better. Maybe it's your health or a health of a loved one like the the young child in the hospital we just heard about. What are you hoping for? And how long have you been hoping for it? And how long are you willing to continue to hope for it before you just give up? I want to introduce you to a guy today who hoped for something for a long, long time. And he actually was finally in the presence of God himself. 20,000 to one odds that he'd be in the presence of God who does miracles. And he has his greatest hope fulfilled. Ready to learn a little about it? Chapter one, Luke, if you have your Bible. Also, there's scripture up up on top. Here's the question. Christmas breaks through New Testament Finally, and the angel appears and speaks to a woman and to a man without a child and says, you are going to have a son. Who's the name of that couple? Mary and Joseph. Who said Mary and Joseph? How many people said Mary and Joseph? You are all wrong. Aren't you glad to come to church? The preacher told me, well, I'm wrong. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, Mary and Joseph did hear that. Zechariah and Elizabeth heard it long before. It's the beginning of the whole Christmas story. And uh, we sometimes forget that this is the very first thing. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Kind of a long portion of Scripture. We're just going to read. I'm going to talk about it as we go through, and then I'm going to kind of wrap it up at the end. So verse 5 says this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Aaron is the high priestly. You're born into this priestly family if you're a descendant of Aaron. 
Listen to this. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Wouldn't that be great to be said about you? All the commandments I keep, all the regulations I keep, I'm blameless before the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well along in years. They did everything right, kept all the commandments, went to church. They had a great family. They're from the priestly family. You would think they would have blessing and favor and everything. And instead it says, but, but. They were barren. They were childless. In those days especially, that, that was viewed as, a, as, a, as perhaps a curse from God. It was, it was all of a sudden your family ends. Not going to be able to pass on the legacy and the riches and the, the heritage. <clears throat> but, and just in case you wanted to know if maybe there's hope, the NIV, the old NIV, which I read, says, they are both well along in years. The new NIV just says, they're very old. <laughs> very old. Not just old. Very old. It's not like they're in their 40s, you know, and the clock is ticking, and there might be, if we can kind of hurry things up, you know. It's not even at the 50s, like, yeah, maybe. I don't know, maybe there's an outside chance. It's not even 60s where, come on, you know, God, give me, give me something to work with here. 60s, come on now, there's still hope. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say how old they were. Oral tradition says that Elizabeth perhaps was in her 80s, late 80s. And um, Zechariah was 90 when this child was born. That's very old to have a child. That's what you call not much hope. But, I don't know if I can say this in church or not, but I'll give it a shot. Some of you fit in this category. If you're doing everything right, you're going to church, you're trying to keep the commandments. You may not be blameless, but you're better than your neighbor at least. <laughs> but, but, in fact, Here's what I don't know, I probably shouldn't say, but you have a big butt. <laughs> and you're going, I know I brought him to church with me today. No, don't start in the, but you're, you're blameless, but it's just not going the way you thought it would go. There's, there's some issues you're dealing with. You're, you're going into 2020 and you're thinking, God, don't make it like 2019, please. And you don't, you don't understand why you're, you're praying and you're going to church and you're, you're you even, you thought, I'm going to that discipleship thing they have. I'm, I'm going to do everything I, but there's a metaphor in the Bible with this idea of, of barrenness that is not just an individual couple, but it's really the, the condition of Israel. It's the condition of God's people. They're fruitless. They're empty. They're facing impossible situations. There's not any hope. It happens when you just read the history of Herod, who's 
the governor of, the, of this time, and you read about the Roman Empire and the Roman government and the torture and the torment and the slavery, really, that they're in. And then you take it on a spiritual level and you recognize, here's Israel, the people of God, and God has been silent for 400 years. 400 years. The people of God have heard nothing. No new scripture, no prophet, nobody coming out and just reminding them that, hey, I've seen God at work. He's been silent 400 years. 400 years is, is much longer than the United States has been a nation. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine us saying, well, we're the people of God. When's the last time you've seen evidence of God? Well, I haven't. Well, about your parents? No. Grandparents? No. Great-grandparents? No. Great-great-grandparents? No. Great-great-great-great? No. But we haven't seen God work in 400 years. They're barren. They're doing all the right things. They're still God's people. They're still doing all the church stuff, all the religious stuff, trying to keep the commandments, but empty. Despair. Impossible. I, I was reading... Uh, the, the Center for Disease Control had some statistics that the last three years are the first three years in the last about 100 years in the United States where the life expectancy has gone down. It's gone down. It's plateaued and then tapered off. And they said it's not because of disease. It's not because of heart disease or cancer, but it's because of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, the opioid crisis, and suicide. And they have a new name for it now. The diseases of despair. The life expectancy in the United States is going down because the diseases of despair. And the person writing this article talks about it, says, we are dying because of hopelessness. Good people. But we're in despair. What I love about this scripture, what I love about this passage, is that God is about to do his most amazing work. <laughs> it's going to be a cosmic rescue. He's going to show up. He's going to appear. He's going to step in. And we're going to see the miracle and the wonder of Christmas. And he chooses one of the most dark, hopeless despairing moments in the history of his people. And not only does he do this grand thing which we think God is capable of, but he reaches down to the individual people that you would maybe, probably nobody even knows who they are. You don't even, you, you don't even put them on your nativity scene. And he meets them at their point of need. And I guess it just reminds me that Christmas with all the wonder and the beauty and the pageantry and Christmas Eve with 150 services that you're going to have and all that, that God still recognizes you. I think he recognizes the elves among you more than some of you guys that are going to help, but no, I'm just, um, that was a plug, selfish plug for the <laughs> church. He comes in at that time and he starts to work. I wonder if he'll, I wonder if he'll do that for you this Christmas. I wonder if he'll do that for you. Continue on verse eight. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty <clears throat> and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot. 
according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So there's, at this time, there's 20,000 priests in the nation of Israel. If you're, if you're born in that family, you're just automatically a priest. There's one temple. 20,000 priests, one temple. Just think if, if this was the only church in the whole nation and there were 20,000 pastors, who preaches each Sunday? Who, who gets to do their ministry stuff? So what they did was they divided them up in divisions, usually about 700 to 1,200 priests in each division. And one week out of the year, some of them two weeks out of the year, where they'd come to the temple and they would, they would do ministry in the temple. And one person out of that would have a lot drawn and they would be able to go into the temple in, uh, right up next to the Holy of Holies to the altar of incense and pray on behalf of all the people of Israel. And Zechariah gets that. I mean, that's gotta be awesome. He, here, because normally what do you do when you go to the temple with all these 700, 1200 priests? You know, you guys go sing and you guys go clean up the bathrooms. You know, what do you do for that? It's like, you ever go on a mission trip and there's like a hundred of you on the mission trip and like only six people really know what they're doing? <laughs> and they're trying to figure out what to do with the other 95? Yeah, you go pull weeds over there. Well, that's not even our property. Go pull weeds over there anyway. And you guys go paint that wall. We painted that yesterday. It needs two coats. It needs 20 coats, actually. You just keep painting the wall until we're done. I mean, you don't know what to do. Here, here what do you do? And Zechariah finally gets this lot drawn. And he's going to be able to take incense into the temple. And they give him a bowl, big gold bowl, and it has hot coal from the sacrifices that morning of, of a lamb that was sacrificed. And uh, he carries that. He carries it beyond the court of the Gentiles and into the court of the women and beyond the court of the women into the court of the Jewish men. And he starts to climb up the stairs. And as he goes, the weight of this whole thing, not the weight of the bull, but the weight of what he's doing starts to really hit home with him, that there are worshipers gathering and they're kneeling and they're bowing down and they're praying and they're expecting him to take this bowl which represents their prayers and offer it into the very presence of God. And with all the pressure of eyes on him, he walks up and he opens the door of the temple and he goes in and the door shut behind him and he's all alone. I don't know if it's dark, it's really quiet. He's all by himself. And he walks up to the, to the temple the altar and he blows on the, the coals to heat them up and he sprinkles the incense and the incense starts to burn and, and it starts to, to filter up into the heavens and the Psalms tell us that, that when this happens it's, it's, it, it's a metaphor for the prayers that we offer up to God that our prayers go up to God like a sweet incense and he's up in heaven and he hears our prayers and he experiences, he, he breathes in our, our prayers, they're sweet to him, he smiles, he, he loves to hear his, his people pray. The book of Revelation talks about it the same way. At the end of the service, there's gonna be some prayer people up here and they're gonna, they're gonna pray with you if you'd like and, and it's gonna be offered up to the Lord as a sweet incense. Every time that a, a priest would actually 
get into the, the temple, they would, they would stop at the Holy of Holies. There's a big curtain that would keep them from going into the Holy of Holies. Beyond the Holy of Holies is where God presided. It's where he, he lived. Only once a year and only the high priests could go into the Holy of Holies. He would have to stay out. The Holy of Holies. It was, 600 years ago, they used to have an Ark of the Covenant that was that was in there, that was actually where God lived, but for 600 years it had been missing. I don't, I don't know if the Babylonians stole it or if uh, the priest hid it in Ethiopia, some people think, some scholars think. I don't know if Indiana Jones kind of got in there somehow. I, I don't know what happened to it, but I'm sure in his conversations with everybody, other priests, it was like, yeah, this is kind of like more of a ritual. You know, we go to the Holy of Holies, but the ark's not there anymore, and nothing really happens, and so you just go off for your prayers, come back. You know, when you come, you, you shout out to the people, and they get up, and they shout back to you, and then they go home and eat lunch. You just go do it. You know, it's part of it. But they pray. I'm sure this priest especially was very serious about it. They prayed two things especially. God, would you save your people? Would you save the nation of Israel from the condition and the circumstances and the culture that we're in? Would you free us? Save us, God. Save us. And Lord, God, would you send the Messiah? Would you, miss, would you send Messiah quickly? We need Messiah. And they would lift those two prayers basically up. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't help but think somewhere along the line, after he's prayed those prayers for however, how long it took him, he had to lob up the prayer that had been on his heart for years now. And God, I know you did this for Abraham and Sarah. Would you see fit that we would have a child, a son? I know. I, know. I imagine everybody he heard from just said, Zechariah, you know, I mean, every year for a birthday, I imagine he gathered around Elizabeth and put his hands on her shoulders and just said, you know, I, I love Elizabeth. I love this woman. Everybody told me I, I should just divorce her because she, she, she won't, she's unable to have, have a child and I've kept her, I've loved her, I'm faithful to her, she's faithful to me, she's my soulmate, she's, she's the apple of my, I love this woman so much. And I just want you to know this, we're, we're celebrating this birthday and God, I pray that this next year you would give us a, a child, to give us a son. I wonder how many birthdays he prayed that. The 60th year, the 70th year, the 75th year. I wonder maybe around the 80th birthday if Elizabeth just went, took her wrinkly hand and put it on his wrinkly hand and just said, Zechariah, let it go. <laughs> It was one of the very first Christmas carols. Let it go, let it go, <laughs> let it go. <laughs> Just let it go. We don't need a one-year-old. We need one more year of life, okay? Let it go. <laughs> let it go. I just can't, I mean, it, I mean here you are in the, the Holy of Holies. It's still a holy place even today. If you go to Jerusalem, the Wailing Wall is still there, the outer wall of of the temple, you can't go into the temple, that's actually the Dome of the Rock, the Muslims own that, but as close as they can get into the very temple, and, and 24-7 there'll be a Jewish person or two or hundreds that are rocking their prayers to God. Holy place, 
God, would you remember us? I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what he was praying exactly. I Probably praying those three. I don't know what he was prepared for, but he wasn't prepared for what happened next. What happened next was completely out of the ordinary. Verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. And he'll be a joy and delight to you. He'll, he'll, many will rejoice because of his birth. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to take the Nazarite vow never to drink wine or fermented drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will be brought back to, to the Lord, their God. And he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Turn hearts of the fathers to their children and their children to the fathers and, and, the, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To make ready a people for the Messiah, Jesus. <laughs> Here he is praying as the bull incense going up. I don't know if he had his eyes closed. You ever have your eyes closed and you just think somebody's staring at you? You just know somebody's. You ever, my wife was watching our, brand, our grandkids a while back for several days, few days, seemed like several, but few. <laughs> and she said she'd be sleeping and all of a sudden she'd kind of open one eye and there'd be one of the grandsons looking right at her. Here, here easy prayer, oh, lift, lift one eye and oh, there's an angel there. Where'd you come from? What are you? I don't know if it would be like, you know, when the shepherds were in the field, the, the angels, they, I mean, they lit the whole sky up. When one of the angels went to the shepherd, the shepherds lit up. The shepherds were glowing. I don't know if there's a bunch of, I don't know if, if Zechariah was glowing or the angel, I don't know. It startled him, needless to say. You don't expect that. Why would he expect that? He's in church. Why would he expect God to show up? He's at the most holy place in the world. Isn't it, isn't it crazy? We, we go to church all the time. We go to prayer meetings all the time. We go to certain, and, and we don't really expect God to show up. We just do our thing, and all of a sudden, here's an angel. Big old wings, I don't know. And the angel says, fear not. Don't be, don't be afraid. Even though he's gripped with fear, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer's been heard. Well, what prayer is that? You mean the prayer for Messiah to come? Yeah, Messiah's on his way. You mean prayer for the salvation of Israel? Yeah, that's gonna happen. In fact, salvation for the whole world. Well, how about, how about like my son thing? Yes. Yes, that's the prayer that's going to be answered. You're going to have a son. His name's going to be John. Gracious one. He's going to be a reminder of God's graciousness. And he's going to prepare the, the Messiah, the way of the Messiah, who's going to come and save the Israel and save the world. And he's going to be known by being great. And everyone's going to love him and turn to him. He, yes, your prayers are answered. Your son is coming. 
Wow. Wow. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is, uh, my wife is well along in years. He's a smart man. And the angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent, not able to speak. How, how do I know this is true? How do I know this is going to be real? How do I know what you're saying is really going to happen? I mean, you are... I'm 90 years old, Gabriel. I'm old. I'm an old man and my wife, you know, she's kind of, she's getting up there too. We're old. Like Gabriel's going, well, oh, you could have fooled me, you know, you're bald-headed, hunched over with a cane. What, what do you, like, you're old? Really? You're old? I didn't know that. Old. You don't know about our health. You don't know how often we've tried. You don't know our situation. You... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me just tell you this. I'm Gabriel. There's only two names of angels that come out in the Bible, Micah and Gabriel, they're not just angels, they're archangels. They're the head angels. And when they come, they're announcing something pretty big. I'm Gabriel. I'm not Clarence looking for his wings. <laughs> I'm Gabriel. And how do I know this? Whoosh, lets his wings come out. I just stood in the presence of God. And he told me to tell you this. So there, Zachariah. Checkmate. Give me all your excuses. Give me all your doubt. Give me all your questions. God stepped in, and he's got a miracle for you. Your prayers have been answered. And now you're not going to be able to speak. He's like, give me a sign. Give me a sign. Okay, you want a sign? You're not going to be able to speak. How about that? <laughs> not going to be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. While all this is going on, meanwhile, the, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. I mean, he, I don't know how long this took, but the people are going, are you kidding me? Did he die in there? Is he sleeping? I hate when they have these old priests show up. They never, they go over a long time. I, we're going to miss the game. We're going to miss lunch. Lunch is getting cold. Will we ever get out of here? Come on, what's up? Somebody better check on the guy. And when he came out, he could not speak, but he kept trying to make signs. I wonder what that looked like. I mean, is there like a universal sign for an angel? You know, I, sounds like, I mean, was it the first Christmas charades game? Sounds like. I, <laughs> people trying to, what's he saying? <laughs> they realized he'd seen a vision, unable to speak. Verse 23, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife, 
old Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. I love this. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Next verse, in the sixth month, God sent Gabriel down to Nazareth to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. The virgin's name was Mary, and the Christmas story really picks up. I love, I love Elizabeth. He's, he's done this for me. He's showing his favor, and he's taken away my disfavor. He's given me his grace, and he's taken away my disgrace. Scholars say that she probably, she probably was constantly being verbally and emotionally abused. People looking at her and going, there's old Elizabeth. I don't know that she really loves God, even though she's like married to a priest. I mean, look, look at her life. I don't think she has enough faith. Zechariah, priest, the priest's wife, and I don't think they have enough faith. God would hear their prayers. Maybe there's sin. Maybe there's some kind of sin going on there. Phew. Go to the well and all the women looking at her with that kind of a self-righteous look. Maybe just what was going on in her own head of what she was saying, I'm not worthy, I'm not, I can't believe I'm, I'm still married, I can't believe he kept me, I, I can't believe I've fallen short, I can't, oh, I'm, and just heaping the guilt on herself and the shame. She rears back and says, let me just tell you what the Christmas miracle is. God did this for me. Yes, he's doing this amazing thing cosmically. He did this for me. He showed me his favor. And he took away my disfavor. I don't know what a Christmas miracle would look like for you. I, I surely can't guarantee it. It surely is not just a happenstance thing because it would be, not be a miracle if it happened every day. If you're 90 years old today, I could pray for you. I just don't guarantee that you'd have a baby. Be thankful for that, probably. Um, this I know, this I know, this I know from this. Here's the Christmas miracle. God will show you his favor this Christmas. God will favor you. That's what Christmas is all about. It's what the wonder of Christmas, he favors us. And he pulls back our disfavor, our disgrace, our shame, our guilt. The stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. The stories others tell others about us. The shame. I know I'm forgiven, but I can't forgive myself. He shows his favor in abundance. And he pulls our disgrace unto himself. He does that for me. Yes, he wants the world to in wonder and awe and praise love him for Christmas. Yes, he wants to show his favor to you. As dark or as despairing as it may seem. So here's three things that this reminds me of real quickly. One, stay faithful. Stay faithful. These guys lived the whole life blamelessly, 80, 90 years. 
keeping the commandments of God, continuing to do their duties, continuing to serve the Lord, continuing to believe, stay faithful. God's at work even when we don't know he's at work. God is always doing something. He's at work. Stay faithful. In the context of your faithfulness, in the context of your obedience, is where the miracle comes. Secondly, be prayerful. In fact, more than just be prayerful, pray boldly. This Christmas, just pray the most bold prayers. So, so even if what you're hoping for doesn't come, there's this aha of what you can hope in. I mean, think of the audacity of a 90-year-old guy standing before God and saying, would you give us a kid? That's a bold prayer. It's a bold prayer. God hears our prayers. Pray exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what you can even Im imagine or dare to ask. Thirdly, live hopeful. Live hopeful. If God never gives you what you hope for, know who you can hope in. He's our hope. He comes every Christmas. The whole world celebrates every Christmas so that we can be reminded of the big, big, huge story. And he gives us little captions like this so that we can be reminded he wants to intervene in, in your story as well. I love this quote by a guy who wrote uh, about this passage. He says, this text brings a bit of news. News that's, that's too good to be true. Too good to be true that God's promises are reliable and unpredictable. I love the tension. Reliable and unpredictable. The news reveals that God's spirit is hovering and speaking over places that are dead or dying and speaking a new word. That news promises that even before he's born, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's unbelievable, it's laughable, it's absurd. But that's the way God moves. And when he does, that movement stirs, it silences, and it mobilizes. It removes shame and disgrace and replaces these with wonder. God's interruptions fill emptiness with hope and promise where there is none. Only God can do that. Only God. Do you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing one more song. One song that I hope you hear this Christmas that maybe you haven't heard yet says this. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. May in your weary world God grant you a thrill of his hope. In his name and glory. Amen.